Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. And Dr. Scripture, today we're going to start a series of programs considering the fourth day of creation. And you have a rather strange description (laughs) for this particular day of the creation week. Yeah, that's right, Scott. I sometimes like to refer to the fourth day of creation as the monkey wrench day of the creation week. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> monkey re- Okay, so there was plumbing going on on day four. What, what's, what well, are you talking about here? No, no plumbing. But I'll explain. And in the process of explaining, I'll have the opportunity to give my testimony as far as part of the journey that the Lord has brought me through mm-hmm. in coming to the positions that I've come to on believing, to put it uh, simply, in a young earth creation as opposed to the uh, evolutionary point of view or the theistic evolution where you sort of combine creation and an evolution. So you used to adhere to that. Yes, I did. Yeah, I've gone through uh, a lot of different stages, I guess you might say, in my uh, creation faith. And uh, I began being raised in a Christian home with just the simple childlike belief in the Bible says, you know, God did it in six days and I accepted that. But then I really rebelled from the Lord. It didn't have anything to do with Genesis or anything. Mm -hmm. I rebelled for reasons that teenagers rebel, you know, and I got far away from the Lord. And then in that process, went to college and uh, was taught evolution in my uh, biology degree. Really, it was zoology degree. I went to Berkeley and accepted essentially the things that evolution taught. But then the Lord brought me back to himself. And I really then struggled with the whole issue of creation. I basically was believing that God's word was true, but still trying to accept the theory of evolution. And so I was doing what a lot of Christians do. Probably a lot of the listeners today are um, in this category, we might put them. Mm -hmm. And that is attempting to harmonize the theory of evolution with the biblical account. I tried that myself for a while. Yeah, uh, I think it's pretty common. And uh, I'm not trying to criticize here. I'm just going through uh, the process that the Lord brought me through. And uh, believe it or not, I was actually in seminary at Grace Theological Seminary in Winona Lake, Indiana, studying Hebrew, studying hermeneutics, you know, how to interpret the Bible and all these kinds of things, and still attempting to harmonize evolution and creation. And I was in a theology class with Dr. Chuck Smith. He's with the Lord now. But uh, we were going through the creation account. And when he got to day four and considering the various days of creation up there in front of the class, he goes, okay, now we come to the monkey wrench day of creation. (laughs) (laughs) So this monkey wrench idea wasn't unique to me, but I uh, sort of responded similar to the way you did, Scott, with what in the world monkey (laughs) wrench day? What is this supposed to mean? And he's sort of offhand, perhaps having no idea that there were some students, you know, in the, in the (laughs) class uh, in the position that I was in, although there may have been others. Yeah. Uh, again, I, it's not that unusual. But he said, there's no way that the theory of evolution can tolerate the sun, moon, and stars being created on the fourth day of creation. Yeah, that would be it would have been early in the origin of the universe, wouldn't it? Absolutely. You know, the theory of evolution would talk about the evolution of the, the solar system, mm-hmm. even before that, the evolution of the Big Bang and things like this. And so the normal process would be you've got the formation of the universe through the Big Bang and then the condensation of stars and planets around those stars. Mm-hmm. And then after the earth cooled down, then you've got the possibility for life to begin to evolve and and on it goes. You'd get the oceans, you'd get life in the oceans, then you'd have land animals and so forth. And to a certain extent, 
when you read through the creation account, you almost have that scenario of, you know, day one, the, the matter and energy, mm. and then the atmosphere on day two and the land and plants. And it's not perfect, but pretty much if you leave out day four, <laughs> you sort of have this scenario. And so I was fairly comfortable with the idea of, well, you know, somehow or other, the biblical account is following the standard evolutionary explanation, maybe not in perfect detail, but I was content to just sort of harmonize the two and figure they're both true. Now, there are some people who theorize that God actually created the sun, moon, and stars prior to day four, but something about day four means that that's when the sun, moon, and stars appeared. Yes, this is common. Now, was that something you adhered to? Well, I had never really even read other people's proposals on how you could sort of more specifically, <laughs> you know, combine the two. I just sort of vaguely figured they fit together. But there are those who very specifically explain day four by saying that, well, the sun, moon, and stars simply appeared. In other words, the, the atmosphere or something was just uh -huh. opaque. You couldn't see them right off the top of my head when you think of it that way, that would essentially mean that God didn't create anything on day four. <laughs> so he rested in the middle of the week too. <laughs> <laughs> it just sort of, what, makes the cloud disappear or something? You know, I don't know. But the progressive theory of creation, the gap theory, both of these and perhaps others refer to the sun, moon, and stars as appearing, not as being created. They were created first you know, early on, and then they just appear. So we're going to consider, you know, is that feasible given the language? But again, going back to what happened to me there in that classroom, literally in the desk there in seminary class, it just hit me, you know, the proverbial donkey mm. with a two by four. It occurred to me what I was doing here. I'm studying principles of accurately interpreting the Bible. I'm learning about the meaning of Hebrew words and literature, and I'm still just basically hanging on to my old evolutionary baggage. Wow. And it's not without reason in the sense that there are plenty of good explanations from the theory of evolution for how things came into being and, and that logical progression mm. seems to make perfect sense. You know, first you've got a star, then you've got planets, yeah. then you've got life. But I had to come to grips with what the clear language of the Bible is saying. And what it is saying is that God created the plants there on day three, after he caused the land to come up out of that great ocean planet. And then on day four, he creates the sun, moon, and stars. And then on day five, he creates the flying creatures and the swimming creatures and so on and so forth. And so for me, it became an issue of obedience to trusting God's word and then a quest to figure out if this is indeed how God did it. He created those sun, moon, and stars after the earth. Are there not only biblical descriptions of what God did, but are there scientific explanations from a creation science perspective that would be consistent with this view that, yes, God did indeed do it in six days, and there's no reason to contradict the clear revelation of God that he created the sun, moon, and stars there, essentially in the middle of the week, put everything together in those six days. And, uh, you know, I don't have to just sort of flush my intellect to understand that God indeed could have done it the very simple way that he said he did it. And so there in that seminary classroom, I asked the Lord to forgive me for my unbelief, but boy, I had a lot of questions and he basically, you know, Lord, you're going to have to help me. <laughs> but I chose to believe the simple revealed word of God. So indeed, day four for me became that monkey wrench day of the creation week. Now, of course, the seven day week, 
that we live by is based on the principle that God worked for six days there in creation and rested on the seventh. That's right. So that's a real simple understanding, again, of the revelation of God. And it's not just here in Genesis chapter one, but in Exodus, right in the middle of the great passage, the Ten Commandments, Mm. when we come to the fourth day, you know, that's sort of interesting. The fourth day of creation is the sun, moon, and star day. And the fourth commandment is mm. this day that emphasizes the six days of creation. Again, I'm not making a big deal about these numbers, <laughs> except the six days. That's a big deal to me. But here in Exodus chapter 20, starting at verse eight, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord, your God. In it, you shall not do any work. Verse 11, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. That's pretty straightforward language. God made the heavens and earth in six days and he rested on the seventh. You know, and this is repeated again in Exodus chapter 31, verse 16. It says, so the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath day. I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but notice it doesn't say uh, the church people, Mm. the church age. It says the sons of Israel. This is the commandment given to Israel. That's why we don't celebrate the Sabbath in a rigid fashion. Anyway, verse 16 again, Exodus 31, 16. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth. But on the seventh day, he ceased from labor and was refreshed. And so we have those two simple verses that speak of God creating in six days, not just the description there in Genesis chapter one. So let's return to the account here in Genesis chapter one on the fourth day of creation, which begins in verse 14. And let's just go ahead and read that passage. Genesis 1:14 Then God said, "Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also, and God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth." and to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, a fourth day. Now, in keeping with this appearance idea that some think that God just caused these lights to appear, you might figure, well, look, in verses 14 and 15, it doesn't say anything about God creating the sun, moon, and stars. Mm. In fact, what these first two verses of the fourth day account are doing are simply describing to us why God made the sun, moon, and stars, or again, from this perspective, why he caused them to appear. (laughs) He causes the sun, moon, and stars to be there. Let's put it that way initially to cause light to shine on the earth. So he waited till day four to decide what he wanted to use them for. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess some might think that that's what he did. Okay, uh, let's uh, use these planets and these stars and everything to bring light. Hey, that's a neat idea. No, you know, of course, I I don't want to be too silly here. That's not what was going on. But it is interesting that, first of all, he talks about why he's going to put these sun, moon, and stars there. And what does he say? Well, to separate the day from the night. Now, we have to understand that doesn't mean that night and day weren't separated on those first three days. There was a light created on day one Mm -hmm. that indeed was causing, as the earth turned, night to fall 
on the backside of that planet as it was turning. But now, specifically in verse 14, he says that these lights would be for the purpose of, this is a purpose clause here, for the purpose of separating the day from the night and for signs and seasons and days and years. So God is explaining why these lights would indeed appear in the sky, and it would be for these four things as well as to separate day from night, for signs, seasons, and days and years. And so... It's fascinating to me when I consider this very specific description by God of why he put the sun, moon, and stars in space. Who cares about signs and days and seasons and years? People do. So here, right off the bat on day four, God is actually explaining that the reason he puts the sun, moon, and stars in space is for man's benefit. The trees don't care about that. The animals don't care about that. But human beings definitely care about keeping track of the days and the years and so forth. And so we're going to continue our consideration of this fourth day of creation. But once again, what is it? It's for me, that monkey wrench day. And how is it the monkey wrench day? Because God clearly tells us that on this fourth day, he made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. And he made the stars also. And that's not what I say. That's what scripture says.